0: I'm Kate Daniels. Dr. Mary Beth Shin is a professor at Vanderbilt University in the Department of Human and Organizational Development and author of the book, In the Midst of Plenty, Homelessness and What to Do About It. This book is for anyone concerned about this crisis in our country. Dr. Mary Beth Shin, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, I am grateful that uh, we have this opportunity to have a conversation because you have this important new book, In the Midst of Plenty, Homelessness and What to Do About It. And sadly, it's a very critical book. uh, And thankfully, you have written it in collaboration with your co-author. Because we are facing such a terrible, a horrific crisis, I would say, in this country, in this United States of America.
1: Uh, we are. And the argument of the book is that we know how to end it if we're willing to devote the resources.
0: And that is the critical piece, isn't it? Uh the, although, I, I let me take a sidestep here and say it seems that resources, at least in terms of huge sums of money, and I'm thinking here at least specifically in the greater Seattle area, huge sums of money are, I'm going to say, thrown at homelessness. And yet, if anything, we seem to be sliding further backward.
1: So homelessness... Um, is a result of extreme income inequality. It's a result of the lack of housing affordability when rents keep rising and incomes don't keep up. And so as long as that's the case, we're going to continue to generate homelessness. But if we can make housing affordable for people, we can also end it.
0: And obviously, when we're saying homelessness, having housing is a key piece of the big picture.
1: It it is the central piece of the the picture. Um, It's the defining characteristic of homelessness. And it's also the reason for the lack of housing is the reason that people become homeless. Back in the 1970s, there were more housing units that poor people could afford than there were poor people. And we had very little homelessness. We had a little bit in skid rows and even folks there weren't homeless by today's definition. They tended to stay in abysmal cage hotels, uh, but they mostly didn't sleep on the streets. But then as rents went up and incomes failed to keep pace, uh, we began to see more and more homelessness. In the 1970s, social scientists thought that it was at an end that when that generation of older men passed, homelessness would be gone. But instead, uh, as rents went up, we saw younger people, minorities, women, and eventually even families on the streets. And the problem has only gotten worse since then. So...
0: I, I am with you. Uh, you've done the research, though, but I, my emotional feeling is that, yes, uh, we certainly have the answers. We certainly know what to do, But uh, and people say they want to end it, but do we have enough of the right people with the right intent really uh, stepping forward and doing what it takes?
1: Well, it's going to take a lot of actions by government as well as the private sector. And we need somewhat different things for different groups of people. So if we're thinking families, we simply need affordable housing. So uh, I co-led a large study, 12 sites, 2300 families, where we tried different interventions uh, to end homelessness for families. So it was an experiment, we used random assignment. Uh, And what we learned was that simply giving families a housing subsidy, that held their housing expenses to 30% of their income not only ended homelessness, but had radiating benefits for families. It reduced psychological distress and substance abuse and domestic violence, so sometimes things that can lead to homelessness were reduced when people got housing. It increased food security. It helped kids to have better school attendance and fewer behavior problems. There were fewer separations of parents from children, fewer foster care placements. So all of these benefits simply from giving families access to affordable housing. In the case of folks with serious mental illnesses and co-occurring substance use disorders, uh, people will often need something more. Uh, but there's an intervention that works beautifully for that as well. Uh, it's called the Pathways Housing First Model of Supportive Housing. And what it does is it gets people into affordable housing uh, with wraparound services, but services under their control. So there are no barriers to getting into the housing, and there are no brownie points for engaging in services. People choose services freely, and services work a lot better when they're freely chosen. But it is important under those circumstances to have services available psychological services, substance services, uh, vocational services, even recreation, uh, that help people to sustain that housing. Um, So we know what to do for folks with serious mental illnesses. We know what to do for families. Um, It's not that hard if we're willing to put the resources in. And as
0: you were saying, the resources need to come both from government and from the private sector.
1: Um, that's right. It's you uh, know it, uh, the feds need to appropriate more money for these housing choice vouchers, which is the major way that we subsidize housing for poor people uh, in this country, or it's at least the only one that's that's increasing. Um, and uh, the private sector can step up too. One of the very important things that the private sector can do um, is to think about zoning. Uh, That is, we tend to use exclusionary zoning in this country to maintain neighborhoods that are all single-family homes uh, with often large acreage. And that makes housing very expensive to develop. Um, So Oregon um, and the city of Minneapolis have said, uh, let's allow duplexes and triplexes everywhere. And that makes housing much cheaper. So uh, we need private developers to to step up, but we also need cities uh, and states to reduce the barriers to affordable housing.
0: And do those barriers exist uh, because of, what, tax structures? Why have we created this kind of situation in the 2000s?
1: Well, everybody wants to live in a nice neighborhood, uh, and they'd like the people around them to look like them. Uh, But we have to be welcoming to different kinds of people um, and people with different amounts of of money to spend on housing. Um, We also need to think about different kinds of housing. So not everybody needs, you know, three bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a white picket fence on a white acre lot. Uh, we need to think about uh, multifamily housing. We need to think about, uh, for, especially for younger people, for single people, uh, there's a model called co-housing uh, where people have somewhat smaller private spaces and some shared public amenities. Uh, back in the 1970s, we called those single-room occupancy hotels. Uh, and we destroyed a lot of those to make way for luxury condominiums and the like, Uh, we need to bring back some of the models of housing that allow more people uh, in a particular area, and that allows for cheaper housing uh, that more people can afford.
0: So there needs to be, it seems to me, a a change of um, attitude for all of us, in, in terms of being more accepting of really wanting to embrace having this community, but across the entire country where we w- want to to make this, uh, where we're willing to have these different types of housing t- units and, and, uh, and not feel so exclusionary as we mm-hmm. have in the, in the past. Uh,
1: that's right. And, um, uh... Inexpensive housing doesn't have to be ugly housing. It can be attractive. Uh, It can be well-maintained. That's one place where the nonprofit community can step in and manage housing uh, that that may be cheaper. Uh, We need models where uh, people um, share the costs of building, particularly for ownership, with nonprofits and uh, through land trusts and other mechanisms, keep that housing affordable. So in a land trust, a nonprofit uh, often owns the land and the individual might own the house, uh, but under restrictions so that uh, as the value of that house goes up, if the person sells, they get part of that increase, uh, but part of it goes back to the nonprofit to keep that housing affordable for the next person. So there are a variety of mechanisms that we can use to make housing more affordable.
0: And so you were mentioning with the nonprofit organizations, would it be better for this, uh, for the approach to ending our homeless crisis, be in the hands of uh, uh, nonprofit organizations rather than cities and counties overseeing it themselves?
1: Well, the nonprofits don't have enough money um and so uh the large scale housing subsidies probably have to come from uh federal state local governments um that's that's where the money is uh and then nonprofits can work around the edges they can manage housing they can provide social services uh they can uh help to develop new housing models uh but they don't have the money to Build uh, what needs to be built, or to maintain what needs to be maintained, without some help from the tax structure. So, if
0: if the monies then were provided by the by the cities, by the well, even from the federal level, to to a nonprofit who really would, I think. Perhaps have that more of a heart of wanting to make this work, uh, because it, I just think in terms of just the definition of nonprofit is the desire to make things more equitable.
1: Hmm. Um, I think that can work in in a lot of places. We need a lot of different models, um, and we need to experiment with different models. We know the core of what matters, uh, but how that's provided can be. Uh, different in different places. It can meet with local kinds of needs and local resources. But nonprofits aren't always the most progressive here. So uh, nonprofits have been wonderful in stepping up and providing shelters, providing winter shelters, opening church basements when the weather gets cold in areas uh, where the weather gets colder in in the winter. Uh, But they may not have the skills and the experience to uh, actually create housing um, and if they're simply uh, providing shelter to people they're not really ending homelessness they're just making it less miserable and nonprofits have been wonderful at making homelessness a little less miserable uh, we really need to end it and that requires housing people and that requires a raft of skills, uh, some of which nonprofits have, and other places uh, we really need to be working with profit-making developers uh, to create housing.
0: So, in the last, I would say, twenty years, it feels like we've we have been talking about this, saying that we're putting monies into it and yet the the crisis seems to be worse. and I, I don't know that it's in all cities across the country, but certainly New York has had its issues or perhaps still does here in the Seattle area, San Francisco. Uh, it's it just seems to be growing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there's no place in the country. there's no county in the country. Where a full-time minimum wage worker at either the federal minimum wage or the local minimum wage if it's higher can afford a two-bedroom apartment and there are only a handful of counties where that full-time year-round minimum wage worker can even afford a studio apartment uh, so uh, it is a widespread crisis but as you say it is worse uh, in some places than in others it's worse on the coasts um, and Where the housing crisis is particularly severe, uh, we're also going to need to build some housing. Um, In much of the country where it's simply an affordability problem, then the subsidies would be sufficient to do the trick. Uh, But in Seattle and New York and San Francisco, we're going to have to build housing in addition uh, to making the existing housing more affordable.
0: And certainly we've talked about the different types of housing having the the duplexes and the triplexes and such so that they are affordable what is your feeling about the tiny houses
1: Um, you know they're popular in some places what they give people is a sense of autonomy Um, they're better than being on the street Uh, but we're not going to get out of the housing crisis with tiny houses um, they can be used in some places for things like respite housing uh, after somebody's been in a hospital and needs a place to recover. Uh, we've got one project in Nashville, uh, where I'm from, that's going to work that way. Uh, but tiny houses aren't going to uh, do the trick um, nationally. Uh, we need more conventional housing as, as well as uh, apartments and uh, various forms of, of smaller housing.
0: And so you have been doing this research. This has been really your life's work, right, Dr. Shin? Um,
1: well, nobody my age really started in homelessness because uh, we it wasn't a problem when I was a, a junior faculty member and just beginning my research career. Uh, but certainly, uh, since the the eighties, it's something that I've been working on. Yes. Yeah, so, f- basically,
0: about forty years, this has been a growing crisis, and uh, every time we think that we're we we have an idea of how to deal with this, uh, it just gets worse. So, how what are we going to do to make this change?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, as I said at the start this is really a consequence of increasing income inequality. Uh, when poor people have the wherewithal to afford housing, we don't have homelessness. And in the 1970s, we had very little of it. Uh, we didn't, It's you know, it's hard for people today, for young people to imagine a time when they didn't have to pick their way around their fellow citizens on the street. And it's hard for older people to recapture the sense of kind of shocked disbelief we had uh, when homelessness began to emerge. The New York Times ran an editorial series called New Calcutta. And the WAG said with, with some justice that this was unfair to Calcutta, uh, but what the Times was trying to capture was this this disbelief. How could this be happening in a wealthy land? And it happens in a wealthy land because that wealth is concentrated in a few hands uh, and other people Simply don't have enough to get by. Uh, so, if we want to stop generating homelessness, uh, as well as to fix the problem for people who are currently homeless, uh, we have to deal with that problem, with that inequality problem.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think that uh, it, it was said that oh, maybe 40, 50 years ago, the difference uh, in uh, what the income level of, say, the owner of a company versus the workers was something like maybe 40 to 1, and now it's something like 400 or more to 1?
1: Exactly. And that's really the origin of the problem. Um, And in combination with that, the standard for housing has gone up. And that's probably a good thing, right? Everybody has indoor plumbing. Um, Everybody has uh, kitchens everyone has a little bit of space in, in their homes. Um, and as recently as the sixties and seventies, not everybody had indoor plumbing I mean, most people did, uh, but the standard for housing has gone up, which is a good thing. Uh, but it also has made housing more expensive and incomes, uh, which could keep up. That is, we have the wealth in this country to house everyone, uh, but it's, too concentrated in a few hands, uh, and people at the bottom of the income distribution don't have enough to get by.
0: And so simply raising the minimum wage it doesn't solve the problem, because what happens is that Instead of allowing for that, the, uh, the, the source of the greater income raises prices on everything. So it's we, we just are spinning our wheels, basically, and maybe even sliding backwards.
1: Well, raising the minimum wage would be one of a number of strategies to raise incomes at the bottom. And I don't think prices would go up as much as the increased minimum wage would buy. But there are other strategies to uh, raise incomes at the bottom. Uh, so the earned income tax credit is one that gets bipartisan support that adds to the income that a poor family makes so that every dollar they make gets a small supplement um, up to a, a limit. Uh, and we could strengthen that for families. For single individuals, um, it's, it's a very tiny supplement and we could make it more generous That would also increase incomes at the bottom. Uh, There are a variety of other strategies, uh, you know, strengthening labor rights uh, would help people to negotiate for better salaries at the bottom. Uh, We could change the tax structure, as uh, folks are talking about now in Washington. Um, So there are a variety of strategies that would raise incomes at the bottom. There are a variety of strategies that would make housing less expensive, and since housing affordability depends both on incomes and on the costs of housing, anything that raises incomes at the bottom, anything that reduces housing costs would help. We could also work on income volatility. So there are a lot of people who have enough to get by most of the time, but when they're hit with a crisis, whether that's a medical crisis or an unemployment crisis, uh, that's where they founder. And so, we could uh, use various strategies such as um, improving unemployment insurance and making more people eligible for it uh, that would also help people weather uh, the, any uh, kind of disruptions to their income. So, so there are good strategies.
0: We just need to be willing to, to look at these and, and really support them. That's what I believe, yes, and I think that's what the evidence shows. Is that we need to do that. And would you say that most people want this to, to really s- uh, do what they can to remedy the situation so that every person has that dignity of a, of a home and, and being able to support themselves uh,
1: in in a good fashion? Mm-hmm. I think people um, really do want good things for their fellow citizens. They also tend to blame people who become homeless for their uh, for the problems that, that they have. Um, and, uh, you know, sure, some people make mistakes, and sometimes homelessness is a direct result of a substance abuse problem. But middle-class people and rich-class people, richer people make mistakes as well and their mistakes don't pitch them into homelessness. Um, You know, we're much more forgiving uh, when uh, white folks experience an opioid crisis uh, than when uh, people of color experience that same kind of crisis. So we stigmatize people who become homeless. We tend to blame them for Uh, whatever problems they're experiencing, whether those problems are the result of homelessness or whether those problems might have pitched them into homelessness. Uh, And so uh, I think in the abstract, we want to end homelessness, but we also as a society stigmatize people who become homeless, and that makes us less generous than we might otherwise be.
0: Mm. And certainly mental illness has uh, it, its faces on so many of the people who are dealing with uh, homeless situations. And here, it seems even more criminal that these people uh, were, you know, back in the eighty. well, I think it changed in the 80s, where there were facilities to really help support them through that it was decided that, it was better to allow these people to have you know their independence. and I think we see the result of it by them being preyed upon really, if they have to live on the streets.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well again, the problem really is is one of money. Um, and in the 1960s, when the state hospitals closed uh, to as you say, try to give people more autonomy, um, we didn't at that point develop, services in the community uh, that would be of of great help to people and people moved from the state hospitals to single-room occupancy hotels to board and care homes to a variety of cheap housing. They didn't become homeless until a decade later when that cheap housing began to disappear but then of course people experiencing mental illnesses were more vulnerable than other people and became homeless sooner uh, than other people. Uh, But this supportive housing model uh, that provides services for people in independent housing in the community works very well to keep people housed. So we know how to deal with and help people, uh, even with severe mental illnesses and co-occurring substance problems, to stay housed if, if we're willing to put in the resources. You know, the veteran homelessness has decreased by half in this country because we've put the resources in. We've put in resources through the Veterans Administration, through Department of Housing and Urban Development, cooperative arrangements between those two, through the Mayor's Challenge. Anyone who goes into a uh, veteran's facility for medical care at this point gets asked a couple of questions about their housing stability gets referred to prevention services, and all of these efforts have cut veteran homelessness in half at the same time that homelessness, among other groups, has grown. So we do know how to do it, Uh, and the difference in the case of veterans is that we put the money in.
0: And the money is there. It's just all part of that uh, that phrase of income inequality. And it's just where we place the money and what we have the will to do with it. That's right. So here in this book, in the midst of plenty, homelessness and what to do about it, there's just a good uh, overview of the history, but also the solutions, and it's just really an important book for any of us, but certainly people who are really uh, doing the work to use as a as a reference, as a guide to uh, to to pr- continue on the path. Right?
1: Uh, that's what we tried to do. Yes.
0: And so, if people wanted to uh, reach out to ask questions, or get some further insight, they could uh, reach you at Vanderbilt?
1: Um, absolutely. The the book is available on Amazon or Nook or Barnes & Noble or wherever you buy books. Uh, and you can reach me. My email is beth.shen at vanderbilt.edu. Um, and I'm also happy to talk with people.
0: Which is great because... Uh, there are many of us who who want to do something, and maybe with uh, feeling that here with the book, certainly a, a great resource, and uh, really demonstrates the research that's been done and what can be done. But maybe sometimes we just feel like we we want to have that connection to someone who's done the work to uh, get further insight. So I I really appreciate that, Dr. Shin, that you're making that available. Um, Just wondering, before we need to close out, in in terms of calling the situation homelessness, that's what it is, some people want to call it um, housing insecure. What's your feeling about that?
1: Well, housing insecurity is a broader uh, phrase that covers a lot more than literal homelessness. And there's some argument about what should be encompassed in the term homelessness. So the Department of Housing and Urban Development says it's people on the streets and in shelters and other homeless programs. The Department of Education says let's also include people who are doubled up with others because they can't afford to find a place of their own. Uh, and housing insecurity is even broader than that. It's folks who are paying too much uh, of their income for housing and have too little left for other things or can't put aside anything to weather any storms that they experience. So lots of people experience housing insecurity. And the kinds of things we talk about uh, in terms of raising incomes and reducing housing costs would help the whole broad swath of people experiencing housing insecurity uh, at the same time that it helps the smaller group of people that become homeless to get out of that situation faster.
0: Well, Dr. Shin, you certainly are a voice of information and reason, and I appreciate that uh, you've put your knowledge into this book for us to work with. And I do appreciate your taking time with us this morning. It's I'm very grateful for
1: that. Well, thank you so much for having me.